0: Hey, everybody, this is Erez Katz from CatStats.com, And I just wanted to let you know that if you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. It's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. And Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts and many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. And it's everything you need, basically, in a podcast, all in one place. So if you want to, download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Again, A-N-C-O-R, anchor.fm to get started. Alright, how's everybody doing? And welcome back to CatStats.com Live. This is Erez Katz your host and as promised earlier we discussed with my good friend Colin O'Byrne who was on the show last year and he really wanted to be on the show tonight to discuss this but here in season two of catstats.com live we've had a little bit of a, a time issue and it's been a little bit more difficult to do the full hour recording so I've pretty much been doing the half hour recording and I'm gonna go ahead and give you my top ten tight ends of all time, and we'll give a shout out to Colin for this. Um, and also included in today's show, I'm gonna give a quick NFL recap. Again, our season this year, we've been doing a lot of post-COVID updates on last year's, you know, COVID. As we know, the NFL did have a full season last year, although most of most. You know, most games were played in empty stadiums throughout the season. There were a lot of games missed uh, because of COVID protocols. Um, you know, it was it was really some games were postponed or even canceled. It was it was a totally different type of NFL season, and in the end, we ended up with something that you know I'm not sure a lot of people would would say this was a traditional victory or this is what should have happened. But nevertheless. The the games were were played at a very high level on the field, um, even though they were in empty stadiums, uh, kind of competing at the same time as the end of the NBA season last year and and some hockey as well, um, as well as some other postponed events in November, like the Masters that was going on. So uh, I guess we can start with the NFL recap last year. I'll keep it brief. Um, Of course, the... The final chapter being written was uh, Tom Brady defeating Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs 31-9 in Super Bowl uh, 55, I believe. Um, You know, kind of an anticlimactic end, and I don't think it was the ending that a lot of people really wanted to see or anticipated. Um, I'm sure, as you all know here on catstats.com and on my website, you know, I've made no mistake, you know, no secret about the fact that Drew Brees is my goat of all time and my hero. Um, And of course, Aaron Rodgers has been one of the most prominent quarterbacks in this era as well. And putting up similar type of record setting numbers last year, he had an MVP season uh, leading the Packers to the best record in the NFC. Um, The Saints, of course, captured their fourth consecutive NFC South championship and had swept the Tampa Bay Buccaneers impressively, but somehow in the playoffs, Brady and company found a way to go on the road and defeat both the Saints um, in the divisional game at the Superdome, an empty Superdome, which of course I have to say, what a sad, sad ending. Um, if you're a Saints fan for 15 years of Drew Brees, not that it takes away anything that he did on the field or any of his legacy. He was a legend and, in my opinion, remains the greatest quarterback of all time. I think we all know about the phantom you know, missed call on the pass interference against the Rams about the Minnesota miracle, uh, the heartbreaking losses in the playoffs for the Saints, even a bit of a phantom pass interference in the wild card game the following year in 2019. Um, Drew Brees should have should have probably won at least three or four Super Bowls easily. Uh, He should have made four appearances just like a Peyton Manning or a Joe Montana. Um, I don't know if it would have quite equaled the 10 Super Bowls that we've seen Tom Brady in, but but as i've always argued something has been out of whack in the nfl for a long long time something is isn't quite right and to be honest it wasn't just for breeze so a sad a sad ending there but nothing stains his career and he will i think go on to many of his records will stand for a long time but of course you know records are made to be broken and especially now with the 17 game regular season you know people are talking about quarterbacks throwing for 6000 yards and and what have you. Personally, of course, we know Breeze is thrown for 5,000 yards plus five times, and no other quarterback has done it more than once. So I think people tended to forget that towards the end of his career because the Saints switched to a little bit more of a possession, ball control offense, had a little bit better defense, and could run the ball better. And so Breeze wasn't putting up those kind of numbers, but if you really look at the stats, his numbers were still incredible and his accuracy was. So a tough loss there for Breeze the and the Saints in the divisional game. Equally tough for the Packers in the championship game. If you'll recall, um, you know, they, on fourth down, the Packers had an opportunity late in the game to go for, go for it on fourth down and basically having the best offense in the NFL. Um, they chose to kick a field goal with a couple minutes on the clock and then try to have their defense come out in the field and get the ball back. Um, I'm not sure that was really the right choice in what was already a pretty high-scoring game. Um, As it turned out, they kicked the field goal, but the defense was not able to stop Brady and company and get the ball back. Um, So, once again, um, going on the road twice, the Buccaneers were able to advance to the Super Bowl. Uh, Another disappointing end for Aaron Rodgers in a championship game. Um, He had lost one to... Obviously, that was, I believe, his third loss in a championship game, losing to the Seahawks in 2014, uh, losing to the Atlanta Falcons in 2017. Um, actually, a fourth loss because he lost to the 49ers also in 2019, and then this this loss. So, um, once again, another amazingly brilliant quarterback in our time, Aaron Rodgers, who has made just the one Super Bowl appearance and has the one victory and the one MVP similar to um, to Drew Brees. So, so Brady goes, and of course, in the, in the AFC, we saw some great performances, um, especially by the Cleveland Browns and the Buffalo Bills of all teams, you know, two, two teams that had never reached um, or the Browns had never reached the Super Bowl. Um, the Bills, of course, had never won a Super Bowl in four tries, um, and Josh Allen, you know, played great all year long and came very close to actually leading them to that Super Bowl um, because they were really threatening there um, after eliminating the Baltimore Ravens, who a lot of people had thought would be the favorite in the AFC uh, behind Lamar Jackson in his MVP season from the year before. But uh, it wasn't to be. Buffalo was impressive and defeated Baltimore. Um, then um, advanced on to the championship game and gave Kansas City a real run for their money, Um, but in the end, the Chiefs prevailed and proved to be the the best team in the AFC. They also had a a real scare in the divisional game against the Cleveland Browns, who many people, they didn't see that coming, Um, but the Browns upset the Steelers in the wild card game and then moved on to Kansas City and and came very close. Uh, A couple bad luck bounces on some Plays near the goal line and the pylon um, where they would fumbled a ball out of the end zone, I believe, before halftime and a couple other plays or else you could very well have seen the Browns pull the upset. But Patrick Mahomes uh, kept the magic going but and in advancing and winning the AFC, but it definitely wasn't his day or the Chiefs' day in the Super Bowl, so the Buccaneers won uh, again. You know, maybe you can comment on this later on. Anybody who's on my website or who wants to respond here on the podcast. But I just felt that, that playing these games in the empty stadiums, you know, although the, the, the level of play was high, I'm sure not just a team like the Saints, who, you know, had definitely lost that, that loud home field advantage. Um, the Chiefs, of course, I'm sure a team like the Seahawks, Definitely would have argued that as well. They they also lost a playoff game at home in the wild card game to the to the L.A. Rams, and again, it's just not the same there at, at CenturyLink Field uh, in total silence with no fans, as opposed to having the deafening crowds and the deafening, just like you would have in the Superdome or just like you would have at uh, Arrowhead Stadium. So, you know it. It was it was it was a war of attrition in many ways and like we said there was there were games suspended games missed uh, key players out um, you know infamously you might remember the game between the Saints and the Broncos last year where their entire quarterback room uh, was uh, you know under the COVID protocol and, and missed the you know mishandled it so they ended up having to use basically kind of a a backup wide receiver as their quarterback who hadn't played quarterback basically since high school or early in college. And that turned out to be a disaster for the Broncos in that game. But, uh, you know, then of course you had, I believe, you know, the Steelers and Titans was a game that was postponed again and again. And you had games being played on Tuesday and Wednesday and, uh, just all kinds of strange scenarios. Um, It was a strange season, so again, I don't know if we we kind of got exactly what we wanted or what we felt like was deserved at the end of the season, but nevertheless, the Buccaneers were the champions. Um, It's kind of like similar to the baseball season last year, I think, um, even though the action was great, and because we hadn't had sports for so long, uh, it was great to just be able to watch baseball or watch football. Last year, you know, in the pre-vaccine pandemic, um, it it was a real release and just just something that made us feel like we're getting back on the right track. So, um, But from a sports perspective, again, a 60-game season in baseball, I'm not sure everybody really would acknowledge that as being legitimate. I think they actually let 16 teams into the playoffs, Um, so it was a a bit of a free-for-all, and ultimately, the Dodgers emerged winning that as well, but... You know, I think some of it was a little bit more of just a moral boost for us as sports fans to be able to just see the games and uh and 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 at least be able to watch them on TV, watch them virtually and um and so it was exciting. It was exciting, but definitely um just like we we said earlier with the NBA bubble and the NBA season, you know, those two seasons being linked together, they'll always be a little bit different I think than seasons going forward, but course the NFL is moving forward now with the 17 game season um, and all kinds of changes going on and again COVID is not gone yet so a lot of these protocols could be in effect especially if you have non-vaccinated players and whatnot so um, you know it'll be interesting to see what happens but again there's the recap Uh, but so sorry to uh, have seen Breeze's career end like that in an empty Superdome and and then see Aaron Rodgers come up short in an MVP season also missing out on a potential matchup between Breeze and Rodgers which we have not seen very much at all in the playoffs over the years uh if at all and um and just some other matchups that we could have seen but um nevertheless uh Uh, Let's get to the top 10 all-time tight ends. I just wanted to kind of run down my list here, and uh, I'll start from the bottom and work my way up. Um, And one thing Colin and I had talked about that we wanted to give a shout out before I even talk about the the tight ends, I'm just going to give a quick shout out to a couple fullbacks that played like tight ends in a way. Um, the fullback, in many ways, is kind of a lost position, too. There's, there's a few good ones in the league nowadays, um, <clears throat> like a Kyle Juszczyk with the 49ers, and really a couple others. There's not a whole lot. But back in the day, you had three main guys that came to mind. The Dallas Cowboys, in their successful teams, had great tight ends, and of course, they had the Moose, Moose Johnston at fullback, a big blocking back who could also come out of the backfield and catch screen passes and then rumble down the field. He could throw blocks for other you know, running backs, <clears throat> excuse me, um, such as Emmitt Smith um, and the other Cowboys running backs back then. So he was just a load coming down the field, um, a great blocker and a great receiver. So Moose Johnston, big number 48, uh, another guy for the San Francisco 49ers in the 80s and late 90s was of course big number 44 Tom Rathman who was a very similar type of player to Johnston um, in the 49ers scheme um, in that west coast offense where very often they would throw the, sh- the screen passes to guys like Roger Craig or Wendell Tyler or um, of course you had the receivers like Rice and Taylor on the edges and Rathman was just a bull in the backfield uh, creating blocks creating all kinds of spaces, and and again, out on screen passes and, and swing passes, um, just creating room for guys like Rice and uh, Taylor at the line of scrimmage to break free, so Tom Rathman was another great legend, and another big fullback similar to that was Big Mike Allstott, number 40 for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in the late 90s, early 2000s, the teams with uh, Warren Sapp and Derek Brooks and that great defense that they had. Um, but the offense was a little bit more conservative. Uh, you had um, so either Brad Johnson or Trent Dilfer, I believe, at quarterback. Um, the only real explosive receiver there was, was really Keyshawn Johnson for a while. Um, of course, you did have a good tailback though in um, coming out of the backfield in uh, um, not uh, Fred Taylor. Um, I'm getting him mixed up work Dunn. work Dunn, number 28 coming out of the backfield so another fast back similar to an Emmett Smith type or a Roger Craig who could catch a screen pass and then there was Mike Allstott just paving the way um, and so and he was also a real bruising type of fullback. He could hit you he could. He could go over the top at the goal line or plow right through people. So just constantly creating scoring opportunities very similar to Moose Johnson and Rathman on the 49ers. So those fullbacks I wanted to give an honorable mention to as we get into the top tight ends. And I'm going to have some ties here. There really have been a lot of great tight ends over the years. And uh, so I couldn't really sum it up in 10, but we'll start off with those 49ers teams at number 10 in the 80s and they had a couple great um, a couple great tight ends first in the earlier 80s Russ Francis uh, number 81 was actually one of Joe Montana's favorite targets a big guy and again just had a had a knack for getting free at the goal line um, and just you know, just great hands at tight end and a great blocker. And there was another kind of platooning tight end for the 49ers back then in Brent Jones, um, who also was just played a similar role, number 84 always a big guy with great hands, a good target, especially down on the goal line. Every time uh, Joe Montana would do his patented scramble out to the right or the left or stand in the pocket, he always seemed to be able to find one of those big tight ends when he didn't go to Craig or his receivers. And and it was just an integral part of that West Coast offense that, that Bill Walsh had designed. And so Brent Jones was another great one. A couple more guys I just want to throw in Um, One is an old-time guy who I had the good fortune of meeting uh, when I worked at a Super Bowl once upon a time. uh, John Mackey, one of the original tight ends. Um, And I guess you couldn't include him if we're talking about old-time tight ends without, of course, including Mike Ditka. And because these guys were before my time, I didn't really see them play live. So it's hard for me to know exactly where to rank them on this list. Um, I'm sure especially Mike Ditka would would go much higher on the list. Um, But, of course, he was a big bruising tight end with great hands and could rumble down the field and could do it all for the Chicago Bears um, back all the way in the 60s, maybe even the late 50s. John Mackey was from a similar era, another big man, a big target for Johnny Unitas in the Colts back in those days and just another prototype big tight end with great hands and good speed who could just really lay waste to you because he was so big coming down the field of course Mike Dicka, we know was known as just being an absolute bruiser he pretty much hit the defense the defense didn't hit him as an offensive player and these two guys were two of the first tight ends that were really used in this way in, in the offensive game the way they were so it was those two guys are our Hall of Famers and our legends, of course. And uh, and like I said, I got to meet John Mackey, one of the nicest guys I've ever met. So um, I got to meet Lynn Swan on the same day as well. And we talked about him with the great receivers last year. So a great guy. Another guy I wanted to mention as a great tight end, too, um, on the Philadelphia Eagles in the late 80s and 90s, Keith Jackson. Keith Jackson was just a big prototype Um Tight end coming out of the University of Oklahoma, I believe, back then, where he starred in college and was equally dangerous in those those great Oklahoma teams that competed and won national championships. Oftentimes going up against the uh, the Nebraska Cornhuskers back then, um, and Coach Tom Osborne. So uh, Keith Jackson, just for a big guy, again, great hands, great speed. Uh, great feet to to keep his feet in bounds. Uh, there seemed like there were so many catches he had down on the on the goal line or near the out of bounds line, and he just was so graceful and elegant. Uh, really, one of Randall Cunningham's favorite targets all along. So he was an amazing, amazing tight end. So big Keith Jackson, um, not to be confused with the famous announcer of of that of the same name of, of that era, but uh, a great tight end. Um, All right, so technically all those guys come in at number 10. Let's move to number 9. Number 9, I kind of reserve for the more modern-day tight ends, some of whom are still playing and are not done yet. I put Rob Gronkowski in there. um, And I'm also putting in guys like George Kittle on the 49ers right now, as well as Travis Kelsey as well as Zach Ertz, even on the Eagles right now, because these guys, and and obviously Kelsey and Kittle and, and even Ertz, who's been playing a little bit longer, um, you know, haven't played long enough to, to break some of the receiving records yet, but if they keep going on the pace that they're at, they might be able to do it. Um, but all three of those guys, a similar style, the big bruising style at tight end, the great hands, the speed, um, I think you see a little bit more speed now with the tight ends nowadays than what you have seen in the past. Maybe not quite as much power, but it's still a power position. And uh, again, this is what Colin loved the most about tight ends. And so, um, you know, and just the way they're utilizing the offense. And and nowadays, the way they can go down the field and you can throw a 50-yard bomb to a tight end or you could throw a a 10-yard slant pass over the middle um we didn't see that as much in the old days but now uh the tight ends have become so versatile and of course Rob Gronkowski is probably considered to be the best of these in terms of uh these years with the Patriots and and having teamed up with Tom Brady and and now again with the Buccaneers um the catches the the yards actually though um Another guy I put on the list, and again, I'm probably being a little bit biased because I put him a little higher on the list, but really could go in this category, is Jimmy Graham. Uh, But Jimmy Graham, obviously his years with the Saints were, in my opinion, the most impressive of any tight end in our era. Unfortunately, it only lasted about five or six years or so. But uh, had he stayed on that team with Drew Brees with the numbers he was putting up, Um, I guess you could say the same thing about Gronkowski as well with the injuries that he's had. He's missed almost two full seasons, I would say, with some of the injuries and then the retirement and coming back. (laughs) Um, You know, these guys have both been slowed down because otherwise they might very well be on all-time record paces like they were. Um, But just all of these guys have been amazing, incredible, and continue to do it. Travis Kelsey, he might end up being the best of them all on the Chiefs. He's been amazing. George Kittle is a little bit younger, and he's, you know, really emerged in the last couple years uh, for the 49ers. But all those guys, Zach Ertz as well, and then Gronk. So they they all come in at number nine. Um, Going to number eight, though, we'll go back to a little bit more of the old days, and again, go back to the Dallas Cowboys. We mentioned their Super Bowl teams with Emmitt Smith and Troy Aikman and Moose Johnston, the big fullback. Well, of course, they had a great tight end on that team as well in Jay Novacek. Um, and Jay Novacek, I know Colin was a big fan of his and would have probably put him higher up on this list. But um, just another guy with great hands, able to get out in the flat, able to catch a pass over the middle, down the sidelines. Um Acrobatic catches, um, also a great blocker to spring those great Cowboys receivers like Michael Irvin um, and and Alvin Harper and all those guys from those teams back then. Um, just a great, great tight end all around. Um, he always seemed to be open, especially on third down for third down conversions. Whenever Aikman needed a big completion, you know you keyed on those receivers and you keyed on him at Smith, but. The guy you couldn't account for was Jay Novacek, so he was a great one. And then, really, Jason Witten uh, followed him up not too long afterwards, and played through you know the early 2000s uh, with Tony Romo, and and put together well over a decade of very similar type of you know statistics and very similar type of style to a Jay Novacek, just always seemed to come free, always the big conversions. You could throw the You could, you know, Jimmy Graham lined up in the slot. So you might remember when he was up for an arbitration in a contract year, he was trying to actually get paid as a receiver and not as a tight end because the Saints had lined him up so many times in the slot um, that he could almost have been considered a wide receiver. Of course, Gronkowski did much the same later on or around the same time. But um, Jason Witten was another guy who... Um, could at times line up in the slot or just kind of give you that dimension where he could catch a 10-yard pass over the middle, but he could also get you kind of like a 25-yard slant pattern or, you know, or a post route and uh, and and beat some of the cornerbacks, you know, because he had very good speed as well as the size. So, you know, just the ability to find those holes too, the, finding those holes in the defense and, and being able to, to just pick the defense apart. So um, Jason Witten, definitely one of the best of all time. You know, he had the one year where he went into the Monday Night Football booth, but then, you know, came back and and has been playing for another couple years. So he continues to add to those all-time stats, and he's been a great one. So those two Cowboys, Novacek and Witten, I tied at number eight. Now, um, number seven, I basically had Jimmy Graham a couple spots ahead. So we talked about Jimmy a little bit and all the things that he did for the saints. Just, you know, he was a former basketball player as was another guy that we'll talk about later in the countdown um, from the chargers, Antonio Gates. So a lot of people, you know, he added a whole different dimension did Graham with that kind of, almost like a post-up style in basketball where he just used his huge frame, you know, the six, five, six, six frame and the 265 pounds. Um, Also a similar type of guy to, Um, a Tony Gonzalez, uh, also we'll talk about him in a bit, but, uh, so yeah, one of just the great, great big guys and it was like a post-up. So when you're on the goal line, just throw it up there and those guys are too big. And with that athletic ability to jump over the, the cornerbacks or the safeties and, and have great hands, a lot of touchdowns were scored that way. So Jimmy Graham there at number seven and, um, at number six, uh, the next couple of guys are, are some—actually, the next few guys I'm going to talk about are some all-time classics. Um, Ozzie Newsome, uh, for those of you who got to see him play in the 80s, maybe the early 70s and throughout much of the 80s, a lot of his time spent with uh, Bernie Kosar as his quarterback on those great Browns teams that you know, made a couple runs to the championship game in the AFC, very close to getting to the Super Bowl. Ozzie Newsom was just a, a do-it-all guy, big number 82, soft hands, could catch the ball, a, a phenomenal blocker, both at the line of scrimmage and downfield, um, just a reliable target. And, you know, what, what else can you say? I mean, Ozzie Newsome was always there. I mean, the Browns, they had good receivers, um, but maybe not great receivers. The guys like Webster Slaughter and Reggie Langhorne. Um, and a couple other guys, um, they could definitely be explosive, but Newsom was really the guy who um, made it all work. And he was a great blocker for their great backs and Kevin Mack and Ernest Biner. And he just really made that. And of course he had the dog pound defense and that, that old kind of dusty field there at Municipal Stadium in Cleveland. He was just the perfect, you know, he was like a guy to play in the mud, almost like a Mike Dicka type. Um, but with very soft hands. And so an all-time legend with Ozzie Newsom. We'll, we'll put him at number six. At number five, another guy from this era of the, the early 80s and the, maybe the, the late 70s as well, um, Kellen Winslow Sr. Of course, we saw his son play pretty well as well in the NFL for a while. But Kellen Winslow Sr. was in that San Diego chargers Air Coriel offense with... with Dan Fouts as the quarterback, and with Charlie Joyner and um, and a, a, just the great, the great, great receivers that they had. Um, it was it was just that offense was almost unstoppable. You had some guys like Lionel Little, Train James, and uh, a Chuck Muncie at one point, a great running back with the Chargers. Uh, they were all part of this offense, um, but it was just. Kellen Winslow was really a huge part of it, and he was one of Dan Fouts' favorite targets. I think there was that famous playoff game, which was one of the longest playoff games in NFL history, where they played against the Miami Dolphins. Um, I I believe the Dolphins... um, No, I think the Chargers ended up prevailing in that game. Neither team ended up making the Super Bowl. That was a divisional playoff game but it was a grueling game I believe it went two or three overtimes at the time it was one of the longest games ever played and Kellen Winslow came up huge in that game um, just well over 200 yards receiving what was Fouts' favorite target many times and it's interesting that offense was so prolific that you know Fouts had many favorite targets and he used them all but Kellen Winslow if you ever get a chance if you haven't seen his uh, his highlights check them out he comes in, big number 81, at number 5 for me, just ahead of Ozzy Newsome. And then a couple more old-time guys. At number 4, a guy who played on the Oakland-slash-LA Raiders, uh, Todd Christensen, big number 46. I mean, this is another throwback guy. Um, as you can tell, I mean, probably my favorite era of the NFL ever. I, I don't know about everyone else. Of course, there's some older guys who love the 70s and those Steelers teams. I grew up in the 80s, and those teams, those just the whole era, not just the 49ers who were my favorite team, but you also had a guy like Todd Christensen, and he just caught everything. And he was a big guy. he It was just, you know, the Raiders also had an explosive bunch of receivers, guys like Cliff Branch. You had guys like Marcus Allen, of course, coming out. Uh, Jim Plunkett was the quarterback, but... It was just always, always Christensen seemed to be available. And if you weren't a Raiders fan, and I really wasn't a Raiders fan back then, it just seemed like every single time it was third and long or third and seven or third and... It didn't matter. Third and anything. And this guy just caught every single first down. I mean, if there was a nickname I would give Todd Christensen, it's just like the the walking first down. I mean, the guy just caught a first down every single time and of course he scored a lot of touchdowns too but if you were if you were rooting against the Raiders chances are you you did not like Todd Christensen because this guy caught everything and I I believe at the time in the in the 80s I would have to check this but he might have had the record for most receptions in a season at one time for a receiver because or for a tight end because I believe he went up above well above 80 maybe even 90 catches so he was a favorite target and he was always there and so you know the 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 receivers on the Raiders were a little bit downplayed and so he was just unbelievable so again big number 46 Tom Christensen at number four um and I guess I the, the two guys I have tied for number three Maybe I'll move him up to number two just because I want to put Todd Christensen and the other guy, Mark Bavaro, um, from the New York Giants. Another guy who played in the 80s, uh, won a couple Super Bowls with the Giants back then, um, played for many years. And another guy, um, he was a little bit bigger, I would say, than Todd Christensen. And if you've ever seen any highlights of Mark Bavaro, whenever this guy catches the ball, he usually would drag three, four, five, six defenders with him it was just insane you could not bring him down even I remember watching some Monday night classic games against the 49ers where guys like Ronnie Lott uh, just still couldn't bring him down and some of the linebackers like a Bill Romanowski um, it just even guys like that had trouble bringing down Bavaro he would just care and you can imagine the smaller cornerbacks how, how much of a hard time they had I mean they would just swing him the ball or hit him on a slant pass over the middle. What most people would have had a five or seven yard gain, Bavaro just turned into 18, 19 yard gains just from getting those yards after catch and breaking tackle after tackle. He did it over the middle, he did it down the sidelines. Um, another guy who always seemed to get free uh, near the, the goal line and the end zone to catch a lot of touchdowns from Phil Sims um, on those teams. Um, and sometimes Phil McConkie, the the other uh, quarterback they had, um, or Phil McConkie was the uh, the receiver. I, I'm sorry, Jeff Hostetler um, was the quarterback when they, they won the Super Bowl against Buffalo. Um, Bavaro, a big part of that, but Bavaro also a big part of that Super Bowl victory over the Broncos um, with Phil Simms. And a big part of the reason why Simms had such a high percentage passing in that game. Um, at the time, I believe it was the, the highest percentage passing in Super Bowl history. Bavaro was just unbelievable. And, um, you know, he had some particularly great battles with the 49ers and Jerry Rice and Montana back then, but really against anybody. And the division teams against Dallas, against the Eagles, um, the Cardinals back then in that division. And it was just a pretty epic uh just watching Mark Bavaro play is, again, a guy that you just want to kind of look up his his uh, his highlights and, and watch some of what he did. So big number 89 on the Giants. I guess we'll put him at number three. One more guy I have to throw in, and we'll tie him for number two. Um, I always thought he was a little bit of a different type of tight end. Um, Shannon Sharp on the Broncos. Um, But a phenomenal tight end. But he almost felt like a receiver to me. And maybe it's because his brother Sterling Sharp played for many years with the Green Bay Packers as a wide receiver. So his his brother was a very fast, wide receiver. And, you know, Shannon Sharp was just kind of like, you know, pretty much his brother on steroids. A bigger guy, but almost as fast, just as good at hands, could catch the deep ball, could catch the short pass, could block. Um, the Broncos used him in so many different ways, especially when they won those back-to-back Super Bowls uh, um, in Super Bowl 32 and 33 over the Packers and over the uh, Falcons the following year. Um, just what a weapon uh, Shannon Sharp was. I mean, and he was one of those guys that, that loved to talk, almost like a Terrell Owens type. Um, just talked a lot of smack out on the field, but he could back it up, and that was the thing. And, and also a very clutch player. I mean... The kind of guy where if it was late in the game, if the Broncos needed a drive or if they needed to score and they were down, you know, he he would be the one oftentimes coming up with the big catches, getting big first downs, um, touchdowns, um, a lot of big plays. Because, again, you know, he had that ability with his extra speed at tight end to, you know, whereas some of the other tight ends wouldn't have been able to outrun the defensive backs. Oftentimes, uh, Shannon Sharp was able to do that. And he was big and strong as well. Um, So if he needed to, he could run over guys, but oftentimes he could just outrun them. So um, definitely he has to be one of the faster tight ends I can ever remember playing and just so versatile and very clutch. So, you know, and definitely a Hall of Famer. So I will tie Shannon Sharp at number two um, and I will tie him with, of course, the steady one, the rock for the Chargers, and Phillip Rivers for all those years, Antonio Gates. And Antonio Gates is a guy that, um, you know, pretty soft-spoken, and that's not, you probably wouldn't think about him as being at the top of the the tight end list of all time, but if you look at the numbers, you know, he was right there behind only, of course, who will be number one on our list, we'll talk about is Tony Gonzalez, but um, when it came to catches, when it came to touchdowns, uh, I believe he got over 100 touchdowns. So the only other tight end to do that, um, in addition to um, to Tony Gonzalez, and and close to a thousand catches. The yards are up there. Um, just, just a phenomenal career, and he did it for a long, long time. Um, you know, again, a guy that Philip Rivers could always count on. Um, especially near the goal line, great hands, great footwork to keep his feet in bounds. Um, and like we talked about earlier with Jimmy Graham, he, he was also a basketball player, uh, when he started off. So he had that kind of post up ability where you could kind of just throw the fade route in the end zone and and the smaller cornerbacks or the smaller safeties really had no chance. Um, he could just go right up over them and muscle them out of position and catch touchdown after touchdown, um, a guy who again great hands none of these guys fumbled very much i mean pretty much everybody i mentioned on the list there might have been one or two that that had a problem from time to time with a fumble here and there but but most of these guys were so steady with the ball and none none more so than than antonio gates so just a legendary tight end um a rock for well for over 15 years for the chargers he finally just hung it up a couple of years ago, um, but um, just absolutely one of the and just one of the great teammates, the great guys of all time. Um, so tied for number two with Shannon Sharp, that's Antonio Gates, and of course number one. So 1-2, I kind of went with the the traditional statistics, the same thing if you look at all-time catches for tight ends, if you look at all-time yardage and touchdowns, you basically see these two guys at 1-2. Tony Gonzalez, though, being number one um, for so many years, just, again, such a versatile tight end, such such a force for the Kansas City Chiefs, Um, you know, he... He really defined the position throughout the the 90s and, uh, you know, coming out of some of the guys we talked about in the late 80s and early 90s were the bigger tight ends. But, you know, built the Bavaros, the Christiansons, the Ozzy Newsoms were built for a lot more contact, but uh, not so much for the speed and for the hands. Again, Tony Gonzalez, another kind of post-up type basketball type tight end that could just have the power like a jimmy graham like an antonio gates at the goal line and just a do-it-all guy i mean you could put him in the slot you could you could line him up wide as, as a tight end so he was one of the first guys who really you know expanded the position from just being at the end of the offensive line um and so what can you say tony gonzalez was mr everything at, at tight end for all those years for the chiefs uh you know a few different quarterbacks that threw him the ball. Um, Alex Smith uh, maybe being one of the last ones. Um, and then prior to that, the you know, all the way back to the Joe Montana era at the end with the Chiefs in the mid-'90s and then going on through the great quarterbacks that they had later. So what can you say? Tony Gonzalez, number 88, pretty much defined the position and, and broke every record. And the only guy who's, you know, kind of approached – you know, wide receiver numbers at tight end, and so, and he did it for so many years, so there you have it, the The countdown is complete, Tony Gonzalez, number one, we had Gates and Shannon Sharp at two, Mark Bavaro at three, Christensen at number four, Kellen Winslow Jr., number five, Ozzie Newsom, then Jimmy Graham, then Jason Witten and Jay Novacek, um, then Gronk, Kittle, Kelsey, Ertz, the, the modern day guys, and then Russ Francis, Brent Jones, Keith Jackson, and of course our classic guys in Mike Dicka and John Mackey. So there's my list of the all-time best tight ends. We threw in a couple fullbacks again in, uh, in Moose Johnston, Tom Rathman, and Mike Allstott. Uh, can't, can't mention the big guys who can catch and run and block without mentioning those guys. So Hope you've enjoyed that countdown. And again, um, a nod to Colin. He kind of helped me out with a lot of this and gave me some feedback. Um, so, and the NFL recap, if you have any comments, please let me know either on the website or, or somewhere on the uh, podcast uh, where you see it listed. Um, I'd love to hear from you and discuss it more. I know there's some people that won't agree with uh, some of my viewpoints and that's okay. But, uh, you know, we're looking forward to another NFL season coming up and, you know, 17 games. So, like we said, records are made to be broken, but the tight end position is one that has been a great one throughout the years. All right, guys, we still have a couple more episodes left. I'll try to maybe recap tennis, recap baseball, and maybe do a little bit more on golf or some other sports um, in the post-COVID recap. But until I see you next time, this is Erez Cats. And it's catstats.com live. Take care. We'll see you soon.